Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care, because we need that, all of us. Why are they still running that? I, I know it's been like two and a half, three years of that. You know what I do now when they play at Arch? I stand up and boo. People think I'm crazy, but it's it, it's 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 dreadful. I mean, she's a wonderful actress. She may be a wonderful person, but I'm so tired of her telling me to come to the movies when I'm already at the movies. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, that's a bit from our friend's Cinema Lou explaining why you might see him standing up in the AMC theater when Nicole Kidman comes on <laughs> with that trailer. <laughs> Not that we're promoting bad behavior in movies, but I'm just saying. I'm Arch Campbell, and this is the podcast that tries to keep you up on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz is directing and producing at Katz Podcast Headquarters. I'm busy popping popcorn for everybody here today, Arch, because, you know, <laughs> movies, you, TV, Lou, you got to have popcorn. Delicious. And Lou and I are both excited because it's always a treat to welcome back two of the smartest entertainment writers working today. You find them both online at Vulture and at New York Magazine. Please welcome Jen Cheney and Rocky Haddad. All right. They're back. Thank you, guys. Hello. I, I want to start this podcast, if you don't mind, because I think I, I think we always try to start with what everybody is talking about. And this week, everybody is talking about a concert. The Beyonce concert came to Washington. And there's an even bigger topic there, which is uh, concerts this year, I think, have taken on a new uh, a new importance. So let me ask both of you about going to see Beyonce and how the uh, experience was. Hmm. How was the experience, Jen? <laughs> the, the part with Beyonce was great. Uh -huh. The yes. part where we had to get into FedEx Field and get into the stadium, subpar, I would say. Nightmare. I'm going to go with Nightmare, Jen. Yeah, yeah Nightmare's That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is that I feel like Arch, like, I think you're right. Like, this year feels very big because there's the Beyonce tour, mm -hmm. there's the Taylor Swift Taylor tour, Swift. which is, like, gigantic. Yeah. But I feel like concerts have been, like, coming back probably, like, for the past year, past 18 months, Jen. Like, you certainly yeah. go to more than I do. But it's also demoralizing, then, to think that FedEx Field hasn't gotten anything together. No, not a thing. Not one thing. In that amount of time. <laughs> well, but is that part of it, you know, this uh, having to go through all this work to get there? I mean, uh, and and what is it? Yes, what but what that's a depressing, cost? Arch. I would also say I don't have to go through that much work at other concert venues. It's only yes. this bad at FedEx Field. Uh, Nats yes. Park did a terrible job of communicating about the weather for the pink show on Monday. But at least once mm. I got there, very organized, ticket taken fine, you know, got to my seat. Like at the venue, they were very organized and, and fine. At FedEx Field, it's just, and it was both nights. I went Saturday and Sunday for Beyonce and it was poorly handled both nights. <laughs> so How many people were at the Beyonce? How, how, how big is the crowd? It was completely sold out. So like 62,000. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's like a, uh, it's, uh, for me, like an unfathomable amount of people because 
I normally go to like smaller shows like the 930 Club or the Black Cat or whatever. Um, and even the Red Hot Chili Peppers at Nats Park last summer was not to that same degree of people. So it certainly is like an event, right? Like it was <laughs> chaos because there were so many people there. But then I think that also created like a really, you know, special and unique live experience where everyone knows all the words, everyone is dancing, everyone is having a good time. And yeah, I mean, like, I really enjoyed it. I just would have loved teleportation to put us in our seats, Jen. Yes, how, that would be awesome. a ticket? What, what does it cost to go to one of these shows now? I do um, not know how much our tickets cost because they were a gift from my brother for my birthday. Uh-huh. So that I am unsure of. The um, Both the Beyonce yeah. and Pink tickets that I had uh, were like upwards of $200, which is cheap um, for a show. Uh, I was also gifted a ticket to Harry Styles last year that was like over $600. Um, so the the tickets are very expensive, but the other thing is, and I don't think this is totally new, but it feels more heightened to me is that people really treat these shows like an event. Um, Rocky and I were so frantic. We didn't get a chance to appreciate this on Saturday, but on Sunday, just looking at what everybody was wearing. I mean, people brought out their fashion a game to come to Beyonce and get rained on for the entire night. But nevertheless, rained on in great looking outfits. And, you know, they've been doing that for Taylor Swift. They do it for Harry Styles. Like you, people plan their outfits for months for these shows. Yeah. So there's just but this prices, air of I think have prices have gone up a lot post COVID, right? Like yes. at least the example that I will give always is that like, I think four or five years ago, uh, my partner and I saw gorillas at Meriwether for general admission seats, there were $75. We got there early and we were like up against the stage. It was wonderful. It was great. It was like the best thing ever. And then their most recent tour, they got rid of general admission and made all of those seats VIP. And they were now like $600 a seat. Mm. So we Mm. didn't go, but it's like in five years, it went from like $75 and you sort of roll the dice. You can get in early and like stake out a place to we got rid of the option for you to do that and now it's six hundred dollars plus Ticketmaster fees which are insane (laughs) so yeah so it's like i think they become an event because you're now investing more money than you ever have before in these tickets so like beyonce was wonderful she did great (laughs) but at the same time it was like okay man this uh took like five hours to get here and leave and it's chaos well you know several i say yes decades (laughs) ago when i was covering movies and entertainment uh movies uh dominated the conversation and and so my question to both of you is uh have concerts taken uh, a whole new uh uh place in uh in the things we uh talk about and revere know about that um especially in the summer of barbie when everywhere i go somebody's talking about barbie um it feels like at least for the moment you know movies are a very big part of the conversation so i don't know if it's replaced them it's just i do think that the live experience holds a more special place for people post-covid um because we were deprived of it and so i think people hold it in a more sacred place than they used to at least for the time being 
we talk a lot about how movie tickets are now like $20, but $20 is still way less than a concert <laughs> ticket, right? So I think it's just like, it's a different, it's like a whole different industry. And I think it's a whole different type of summer experience, but I don't want to say it's replaced movies as the number one thing. To Jen's point, it's still the summer of Barbie. How were, were people pretty well behaved? At, at the show, you mean? At, at, the, at these concerts? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like they were, um, especially... And I think you know where I'm going. Yeah, I, I do know where you're going. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the second night, which was, you know, a night when a bunch of people were stuck out on the concourse because of the rain, I loved our section. We were way up high in the 400 level, and people, we had to wait. She didn't come on until 10 o'clock, so we sat in the rain oh. for like two hours. Um <laughs> And people were singing, people were joking uh -huh, around, uh -huh. people were in very, very good spirits. And they're like, I'm not leaving. I think she's going to come out. <laughs> like, so um, so there was a sense of like camaraderie, um, I think. Uh, so yeah, I think people were well, very well behaved. I think Saturday too, we were like in the 200 section on Saturday. So we were like a little bit closer. I think the only thing I saw, and I don't know, Jen, if you noticed this, but like we were in row two and there are people in row one standing and the woman next to me asked them to sit down because she was like, I can't see anything because you're standing. And they were like, no, we're not sitting. No. So I think that was like the only bit of like friction that I saw. But at the same time, like you're at a concert. I think the expectation is that you stand a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, yeah, but that was yeah. it. I mean, it's certainly not. Arch, I'm assuming that you're going into people in movie theaters on their phones, yes, which I think... Yes is is far let's, worse than anything I, we saw I have seen bad behavior at concerts. I just didn't see any this sure. weekend. Well, <laughs> and you know, uh, NFL football games now are uh, infamous for horrible things going on, drunkenness and fistfights, and uh, yeah. people I know wouldn't, wouldn't dream of going to a football game mm -hmm. uh, because of that. Uh, so, so let's get into Barbie, which is now the $1 billion movie. It's a cultural uh, event. And, uh, and yet, uh, people are beginning to acknowledge that a lot of people don't know how to go to the movies anymore. <laughs> I think that's been a problem for a long time. I think it it's has. only more of a problem now because like, Barbie reached such phenomenal success so quickly. Um, but man, Arch, people have been bad at the movies, like, I don't know, a decade? Should we say a decade? At yeah. least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, I think because a lot of people maybe didn't go to the movies for a while, or at least not as often because of COVID, and they're, and they're going back and either A, they forgot everything they knew about how to behave at the movies, or B, they're going back and forgot how annoying it is. And so it feels more annoying when people are not following the ethical guidelines about how to conduct yourself. I feel like that's very generous. I just think people are jerks for the most part. And I think everyone, look, I think actually the normalization of streaming has been very bad because I think everybody treats everywhere like their home now. And so I just think like movie theaters are like, this is the same experience as if I were at home. So like, why wouldn't I be on my phone? Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not the best arch. It's 
pretty bad out there yeah yeah <laughs> so where is that leading us what are we gonna do will there be a pushback uh i mean i don't know what there is to do honestly like i don't think at least my local theater is an amc and sorry to the amc but i don't think they would care like you know like if we complained i don't think someone would come in and be like get off your phone yeah right i just think it's like a cultural phenomenon and maybe you'll have luck telling somebody to put their phone away and maybe you won't um there's I also know, Jen, what have i you mean experienced? They, they tell you at the beginning of the movie put your phone away they have a whole promo mm -hmm. devoted to not talking yeah. during yeah. the movie and not being on your phone and people still ignore it i think we get maybe a little bit less of it at press screenings although even press screenings have been sometimes really? weird the woman sitting next to me at oppenheimer checked her phone every 10 minutes every 10 oh, minutes man. because the problem is we don't get pure again elitism i guess we don't get pure press screenings though that's the problem it's like yeah. so many of our press screenings are like promo screenings and like various other people whereas i think if it was like purely press like if we saw somebody who's a colleague with their phone out i'd be like what the hell are you doing yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. But so many of these people are like, we're filling the screenings with like ticket winners or partners, and it's just not the same uh, experience. I mean, my dream, Arsh, would be a situation like they do at concerts sometimes where they take your phone away and then you get it back at the end of the show. Oh, the um, yonder bag situation. Yeah. yeah. I would love that, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's inconvenient, but I would love it. Then the only thing that would annoy me is if people are talking, which they do also do. Um, but it would be less distracting, I think, than a phone. So let's get into Barbie. And uh, as I, as we all know now, it's made a billion dollars uh, worldwide. And uh, what do you think the effect of Barbie will be on movies in the future? I believe that the studios will take every wrong lesson they possibly can from this. <laughs> when the correct lesson should be give Greta Gerwig to do whatever the hell she wants for the rest of her life. Um, because the reason that movie was good is because of her vision and also Noah Baumbach's vision because he wrote it with her. But as a director, I think um, Margot Robbie said in an interview, she was asked what the tone of this movie is. And she's like, the tone is Greta. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> um, so, but I, but we already know Mattel is planning to, you know, go through its literal yeah. toy box and make movies about right. everything. And I, I don't think that's what the answer is. That, that movie was good, not because it was based on AP, because it felt creative and unexpected and surprising and uh, was made with great care on everybody's part. Um, but I doubt very much that that's going to be the takeaway. I also think the majority of those movies won't happen mm -hmm. because even Barbie took like a really long time to happen. And it went through like a lot of different cycles of creators attached to it. One time it was a Diablo Cody movie. One time it was an Amy Schumer movie. So I think a lot of these movies will fizzle out. But I also yeah. agree with Jen that unfortunately, I think we're going to get uh, a lot of stuff that is sort of like the battleship adaptation. Mm -hmm. Hey man, don't bust on battleship. His heart was not very good. Um, yeah, so like I think that's upsetting. What I'm curious about really is like how long will people be seeing Barbie? Because it's it's like held oh. really well. Oppenheimer yeah. has also held really well. Right. Right. Um, I'm curious if these are movies that like stay in theaters through I don't know the fall. 
Like, do they keep it going through Halloween? And then people have, like, a really fun Barbie dress-up Halloween excursion? I don't know. But, like, I remember when movies used to be in theaters for, like, a year. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious how long they keep this going. And if they were smart, they would keep it going for a long time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, A Room with a View played the Key Theater in Georgetown for more than a year. Mm. Jurassic Park, I think, played for more than a year. Like yeah, nationwide. so did E.T. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So with so Barbie it's one of those and Oppenheimer like... out, uh, is the movie, is that it for movies? For the whole year? I mean, <laughs> For the whole mm. year, yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't know if anything else is going to be that big, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Dead Reckoning, unfortunately, sort of flailed by the wayside i think tom cruise should have moved it um but what else is even big coming out this year jen see this is a test of my memory i don't know what else is yeah. big coming out this, this is year. not a good week to ask me to remember things um <laughs> no well i mean uh, the first thing that comes to mind is killers of the flower moon which i'm very eager yes. to see but like i cannot Thank see you. that being yes. a barbie level blockbuster uh, correct yeah i mean i think we've seen around like, some of these uh release dates Yes, they are. I mean, I think Marvel-wise, there is the Marvels coming out, but, like, I can't see that doing the same amount of business. Like, I think these are going to be the movies that define the summer and arguably the year Mm. and that we see getting Oscar nominations, and that's fine. Like, Barbie's Mm -hmm. great, and uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, Can I share something with you, too, that I Mm -hmm. came away from in Barbie? Of course. Uh, as long as it's not something Bill Maher said, please go ahead. <laughs> I don't know what Bill Maher said. and it, You can guess what Bill Maher said. <laughs> I'm sure I don't agree with it. And, you know, I am uh, an odd demographic and an odd gender, but uh, the monologue by America Ferreira uh, is so strong and such a mm-hmm. high point in Barbie. And mm-hmm. I came away thinking how much I loved her in Real Women Have Curves mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. several years ago. And then I came away thinking how much I loved uh, Greta Gerwig because of Lady Bird. And then I connected Real Women Have Curves to Lady Bird because they're similar stories. And they mm-hmm. both end with the uh, uh, the lead character uh, on the other side of the country uh, looking back, and uh, I was touched. Mm. And I hadn't thought I, about and that. Touched by that, uh, America Ferrera and Greta Gerwig got back together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, like I love that. that. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice observation, Arch. <laughs> I think um... I heard a thud. <laughs> No, <laughs> no. I'll, all I was going to tell you is that there was a piece that Vulture ran by one of the critics about like the big speech in Greta Gerwig movies, mm-hmm. because like Lady Bird also has one. Little Women has one. Uh, and of course, Barbie has one. And this was sort of like a thematic analysis of like, what do these speeches signify about Greta Gerwig's like worldview and especially like her perspective on feminism. So I would think if the speech moved you, I think you would check out that piece and like it. Well, okay. I'll look. And I I do think that, you know, I obviously these first three solo directorial efforts by Greta Gerwig were not intended to be a trilogy, but I do feel like they're going to feel like that in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes especially assuming she does the Narnia movies next, which she has indicated that is her next Mm. um, interest. Um, These are all coming of age stories. They're all dealing with, um, you know, sexism and women trying to like break out of, in Barbie's case, the literal box they've been placed in. 
Um, so I really do think you'll be able to watch all three of these films and feel like they're all of a piece uh, and sort of a, a chapter in her hopefully very long career. I was just thinking sometimes things happen organically. And I wondered if uh, Greta Gerwig and America Ferreira got together with that in mind or if it just happened. You mean the speech? The, the, the speech and the actress, America Ferreira and Real Women Have Curves and Greta Gerwig and Lady my understanding, My understanding was that Greta wrote this role for her. I think uh, I well, read that. Okay, like, so I think I, I read that she wrote it for America. Good. And I also know, again, I think this was like the profile that New York Mag did on America Ferreira. I also know that there was like a lot of discussion of the speech um, and like a lot of emotion on set, like when she was giving it. So I definitely think mm -hmm. that like the speech is very purposeful and very intentional to like play to what America Ferreira does well. You were so beautiful so smart and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough like we have to always be extraordinary but somehow we're always doing it wrong you have to be thin but not too thin and you can never say you want to be thin you have to say you want to be healthy but also you have to be thin you have to have money but you can't ask for money because that's crass you have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. To Jen's point, to align with these other sort of like coming of age, what does it mean to be a woman in this time period sort of things. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is that I'm pretty sure Netflix now has Ugly Betty, which was America Ferrera. Yeah, I was going to show. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention Ugly Betty because that was on my mind, maybe more than real women have curves in that. You know, she was working as like an assistant at a very high end fashion uh, magazine. And so just even the job that she has in Barbie sort of reminded me of Ugly Betty. And it's this, you know, quote unquote, uh, ordinary character that she played on that show who really has all this beauty inside her. And I, right. I thought that tied in beautifully with her role in this. Wow. So so maybe it happened on purpose. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I Greta Gerwig does anything like just yeah. like without thinking about it a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I definitely think that it was very Udvar intentional. I'm out at Dulles to see Oppenheimer a second time with my <laughs> friend who is a deeply uh, uh, invested uh, movie buff. And uh, he's giving me a ride home <laughs> from there because the place is miles from where I live. And I'm very excited about seeing it a second time on 70 millimeter. Mm. And uh, any thoughts on Oppenheimer? I have not yet seen Oppenheimer. Ooh. So this is, I wow. know. So this is this is all, all Jen's perspective. I mean, I thought it was an incredibly well-made film. The sound design in that, if that doesn't win an Oscar, I will be just absolutely flummoxed because what they did with that and, and the way it was used to propel the narrative and build tension, I thought was really exceptional. I thought all the acting in it was good. Um, I guess, I mean, it, it, it seems ridiculous to even be comparing it to Barbie because they're two completely different right. films yeah, that just happened yeah. to land on the same day. But, you know, I felt the way I feel about the majority of Christopher Nolan's work, which is, um, for the most part, they're usually intellectual exercises that don't necessarily move me that much emotionally. There are exceptions to that rule. Interstellar is an exception to that rule. But I would say, you know, I, I walked out of Oppenheimer really impressed, but not like moved or gosh, I have to go back to the theater right away. Whereas I walked out of Barbie, I'm like, can I just go back in and can you start it again? <laughs> 
And is that a gender thing? No, I don't necessarily Ooh. think so. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, I'm just asking. Uh, I'm not... I don't think it's a gender thing. I think it's like a, what kind of movies? Well, boys movie like explosions. <laughs> so do girls. Yes, yeah, but you're not supposed to like. Did the you learn nothing from Barbie? Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think it's a gender thing. I especially because like I don't know how to I don't know how to describe this necessarily. No, I don't think it's a gender thing. More so, I think it's like a filmmaking thing mm. and what like genre moves you. Um, because I think Barbie is also doing very different things with the genre than Oppenheimer is doing, and, right? And also, I mean, this is like I think a personal me thing. Um, obviously, I'm not the only one who feels this way, but. You look at the influences that Greta Gerwig has cited for a lot of this film, um, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, she even like musically, she told Mark Ronson, who put together the very excellent soundtrack, like, I want Xanadu vibes. I want Grease vibes. These were things that were like defined my childhood when I was playing with Barbie. So I think it like activated some part of oh. my brain that just... In addition mm -hmm. to it being a good movie on all kinds of other fronts, that it felt very personal to me. And I'm sure a lot of other women and men maybe feel the same way. Uh, you two know our friend Oliver Jones out mm -hmm. in L.A., and he recommended before I went to see Oppenheimer that I check out every uh, documentary I could find. And mm -hmm. I did find a documentary called uh, Trinity the Day After made mm -hmm. in 1980 that pretty much uh, laid out the story of Oppenheimer, the movie, and really helped me to follow the story. And uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, if you're going to knock Oppenheimer, it is if you walk in cold with no appreciation of history, or if you don't know who Niels Bohr is or some of these other people, you're going to be lost. Yeah, it is, it is a lot of information and a lot of characters introduced that it is, I, that was a hard adjustment for me, mm -hmm. is just keeping track of who was who at first until I finally got acclimated. Luckily, well, you have three hours to get acclimated. <laughs> My frustration with that is, do you need to do homework before seeing a movie? I don't think you should need to do that, Arch. The movie should stand alone. Um, well, it wasn't but I don't know. Maybe I'll have me. a different. Maybe I'll have a different song when I see it eventually at some point. So anyway, I'm going back, and I'm excited, and I'm excited that there's a movie that challenges you and mm -hmm. makes you the nice thing about today is um is you you are often sent to wikipedia after you experience something um uh, there's a story about the, the woman who created barbie that's very interesting uh and she is a character in the film as well so i like that about the time in which we live uh let's get into streaming real quick uh, what are you two watching? What do you like? Oh, man. <laughs> Rocky, you want to start? Yeah, I can. What am I watching? What do I like? Um, uh -oh. I am watching Darkwind's season two. Yeah, I love which that. I, which I enjoy. Um, for those who don't know about Darkwind's, it is on AMC and AMC+. Plus. You got a visitor, Lieutenant. I'm your new deputy. You know about this? Looks like you guys could use the help. Nice suit. Thanks. You look like Pat Boone. It stars Zahn McLarnon as a uh, like Navajo 
police lieutenant um and this season this is the second season and this season is about like a mysterious cult and this mysterious white assassin and this mysterious explosion there are a lot of mysteries uh yeah, set in the 60s. Well, set in the 70s this time. I think the first oh, season it, was the 60s. The 70s now? Yeah, I think we're in 1971 because in one scene they're reading like the draft lottery announcement from 1971. Well, they were watching so the moon landing the other night. Yes. So which I think is 69. it's 69. So almost okay. 70. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's maybe it was a different. I'll have to look because I distinctly remember 1971 being in a scene. But regardless, I enjoy it very much. I think Zahn McLarnon is very good. I think that it is a different sort of perspective on native and indigenous life because we are dealing with like police and this sort of idea of like how do you navigate like uh, a system and a hierarchy of authority in a place where like the U.S. government can come in and like swoop in and take over everything you're doing. Uh, so I enjoy it very much. That's what I've been watching along with some other stuff. But I'm curious what Jen has been watching. Jen, what have you been watching? Well, and on a similar note, sort of, uh, I've been watching Reservation Dogs, which I know Rocky has been watching as well. Love She's a really yes. wonderful profile of Devery Jacobs that everybody should read. Oh. So the story continues. Are we watching Baby Bear Cub become a man before our eyes? Hope you're ready to be a grandma. And what about Willie Jack? I think she's my favorite. <laughs> Any Laura? Oh, that storm within a storm. That's it. And she's, he needs to be protected at all costs. You know, this is the last season, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and it's just, it's just a beautiful show. If you haven't watched it, um, it, it's a, it's a coming of age story about kids growing up on a reservation in Oklahoma. And they, at the end of last season, they finally get to California to have this sort of uh, uh, farewell to one of their friends who passed away. And now they're figuring out what to do next. And, uh, you know, it's just as great as it's always been. It's it's a wonderful show. Uh, it's on, it's an FX produced show, but it's on Hulu uh, if you want to catch up with the episodes. Let me, uh, I want to jump in here and say uh, we're following both of those shows. And as far as Dark Winds go, I don't have AMC Plus, so I DVR it so I can go through the commercials because the only knock I've got on Dark Winds is AMC is just loading it with commercials, and it's yeah. really a uh, a disservice, particularly to the the vibe of that show. The pacing mm-hmm. of the show, yeah, it's like it's sort of like languid. So to then have like a commercial break, I can understand being a little jarring. The Reservation Dogs has that same. Lang- languidness languid what a good word <laughs> so. they're both very good and i think that like this is reservation dogs's last season so i think it's a good opportunity if people have never watched to like catch up and then uh finish it out with everyone else um, did anybody jump and- on the uh first two shows of season three of uh only murders in the building yeah i did i'm in the process of watching that now um this is a the big guest star season they've got meryl streep in there you know some you know some actress they pulled off the street and uh stuck her in (laughs) and uh paul rudd is in this season so yeah i'm i'm still early on so i i haven't watched the rest of the episodes yet i'm planning to do that over the next few days 
Um, but yeah, I just I, I just think the hard thing with shows like this and the after party is another one that's like murder mystery, but a comedy is when you make more seasons, how do you keep the murder mystery part really interesting? I think only murders did it well enough in season two. And I'm just I'm just curious if they can sustain it throughout season three. I just find it an easy watch. And every now sure. and then I laugh out loud at something and it, it makes you appreciate Martin Short. Oh, uh, yeah, he's great. More I mean, so more. is Steve Martin, but I think Martin Short is exceptional in this. Uh, speaking of short, <laughs> we're getting short. And, I thought you were going to uh, say me. Is <laughs> in <laughs> Cats podcast. With a few words about our enablers. I'll keep this short and simple. I want to plug a show we have every weekend here on Hound Radio. Check it out. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners. She has sent in a classic. Stiff came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. We call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for an hour, Hound Radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits. Some are singles, some are album tracks, but they all have one thing in common. They're stiffs. Got one you want to hear? Send it to Lou at HoundRadio.com. There's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this. It's Sunday Night Stiffs, every weekend from 9 till 10 on Hound Radio. We have uh, a few minutes left, and uh, I'd like to uh, spend a few minutes talking about uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubin, who, I don't know, his stuff really touched me. And I went back and watched again the opening of Pee Wee's Great Adventure, and just that brilliant <laughs> segment where he gets up and has his breakfast. Good morning, Pee-wee! Morning, Mr. Breakfast! <laughs> Can I have that Mr. Cheese cereal? Okay! Ah, <laughs> oh, pity the poor fool! Don't eat my cereal! <laughs> Any thoughts on Pee-wee Herman? Yeah, I, I was really sad to see that he died because he, yeah. you know, he hadn't disclosed that he was dealing with an illness for a long time. A lot of people just had no idea, including myself. Uh, I was an enormous fan of Pee-wee's Playhouse, loved it, watched it every Saturday morning. And this is weird, but like his death unlocked a memory for me that my dad shot one of his stand-up shows in D.C. I don't know how my father got this gig. He was not in the entertainment industry, but he invested in a video camera early on. And I think one of his friends knew and you're like, can you come to like the Warner and just shoot this guy? His name's Pee-wee Harmon or something. And my dad was like, this guy's amazing. Uh, and then he went on to become a star. So, um, but he was also a really like, especially in his later years, he was a really good actor period in all kinds of other different roles. I mean, Pee Wee really defined him, but he was, he was really talented and by all accounts, like the nicest guy sending people birthday wishes and holiday cards every single year. It's a real loss. The only thing that I'll add to that is, is it his guest starring role on 30 rock jen where he plays like the very like genetically inbred heir i think so yeah yeah random like european country i know we have just met but i think i love you do you love me oh, oh. knowing i have the love of a beautiful woman has set me free. I feel like it's a really good example 
of how he could do both a lot with a little and a little with a lot. Like, I think he Mm -hmm. knew intrinsically how to both be very broad and very specific at the same time. And that's a talent that a lot of people don't have. And I just think like all of the memorials and stories that we saw really speak to the kind of person he was. So, mm-hmm. and I think Pee Wee like holds up, right? Like it's yeah, still really. weird and bizarre and compelling and interesting. And I, you can YouTube Pee Wee's Playhouse and it's mm-hmm. the most creative thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I also recommend yeah. YouTubing um, his old appearances on the, uh, Late Night with David Letterman. He was a, uh, yes, a regular guest. And- I would I would say Letterman really kind of helped boost his career a lot. It says you are the host of your very own successful children's program. Now, uh, where would one go to see this program? You can't see it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was on. It was on a couple of years ago on Home Box Office. A couple but, of but years you, ago. Yeah. Well. well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but 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 you know, it's, I'm going to be on a lot of other stuff too. I just finished playing Pinocchio. Oh, Pinocchio. Oh. <laughs> and he was so funny whenever he was on. So that's another thing they, to check out. They had something together. Uh, very quickly, uh, William Friedkin died uh, and uh, well, known for the French connection, but mostly for The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And th- that is my time of uh, life. And I just remember the that, that there will never be a, a horror film with the impact of The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. And and ironically, there's a sequel coming out uh, this fall with Ellen Burstyn in it, um, although it's about, you know, different different people uh, who are afflicted by the devil. But uh, I feel like there's going to be, in addition to the fact that that's happening now that he passed away, like there's going to be more talk and interest in The Exorcist, the first movie and then the whole franchise because of, of all of this. And um, yeah, I think that's an incredibly high bar for what horror can do and what kind of impact it can have culturally. But we're about to have an exorcism because we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Rocky, what are you recommending for the weekend? I am going to recommend a new docuseries coming to HBO called Telemarketers. Three mm. episodes. It follows a, uh, you know, now he's a man, but he was a teenager when he started working for this telemarketing company in New Jersey. He's just recording everything because he's young. Uh, and then he sort of stumbles across the fact that what they're it. telemarketing for is like very shady and possibly oh, illegal. Yeah. What we do is we call up people and chisel them out of money. I didn't think I was doing anything bad at all. Now, Lisa, these families, they do need your support. The business model is defrauding the most vulnerable in this country. It was a big time scam. And then it sort of spirals into an investigation I'll, from there. I'll look for Three that. episodes, Jim, very good. A quick quick one uh the movie talk to me speaking of horror is a really great one um if you haven't seen it and you need a break from barbie and oppenheimer thank you both for being here it's so much fun to talk to uh jen cheney and rocky Hadati, vulture and new york magazine thank you lou katz we'll be back in a couple of weeks this is the cats podcasting system where it's not just a podcast but a pod cats <laughs> <laughs>